if a boy picks on you, that means he likes you, right? Which needs to stop. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, that narrative can just go die. Yes. Let's just say that here and now. That is not true. Yeah. a couple announcements to share today uh the first being that this is our final episode for season two (laughs) i suck at it those were amazing sound effects and if that didn't just jazz you up for this final episode i really don't know what will because like that did it for me you're a hopeless lost cause otherwise obviously uh but we have a great great episode uh to close out this season which has been fantastic we've talked with so many incredible guests as usual i mean all of our guests are incredible but we same as season one exactly but we've learned a ton more i think just about ourselves about a lot of different industries and areas and just everything yeah like well we've had a whole new season of of people to help us grow and and to educate us on things so it's like it is amazing, you know, how far I think we've grown and, and what we have really taken from it. And I know we put the show on for everyone, but like we're <laughs> we're the biggest fans. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that goes without saying, but yeah. I know. But no, we, we really love our guests so much. We do. And we definitely are the ones that probably benefit the most from our guests and, and the episodes. Uh, but a big shout out and thank you uh, for everybody that tuned in for season two and our guests that were on uh, to share their knowledge and expertise and wisdom and all their good stuff with us and our amazing listeners. We appreciate you guys so much and kind of can't believe that we're going into season three. Very exciting. Can you believe it? I Our third can't. year. It is crazy. It feels long, but it also is, you know, when you sit down and put in a time on it, it blows my mind. Yeah, it's been a bit of a blink for sure. And I mean, season two was entirely COVID for the most part. So that changed a lot for us just in terms of recording and like recording with our guests. There was essentially no in-person recordings, which was different for us, especially coming out of season one. So season two, yeah, like there was a lot that happened. You moved, COVID, I mean... You know, just you got a pool. Yeah. <laughs> During COVID. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been a crazy Job another crazy year. We've learned I, I keep saying we've learned so much and not just from our guests, but you know, about ourselves and about technology. Like anyone that has been on our show knows that we have all the technology issues. So we have overcome more than you guys even know putting on the show on. Yeah, the we can't again say how much we appreciate just being able to do the show, the people that we've met and spoken to and and have formed some friendships uh, this season too again. And we've had repeat guests. So it's just been all around amazing. We absolutely love doing the podcast and we hope that our listeners are enjoying it too. And we'll be back for another season. And we have our premiere in two weeks time with a very special guest we're entering season three 
uh, with a bang, and it's super exciting. We we will continue to bring the energy and the amazing experts and fantastic people that we've had on into season three, obviously, but we're super excited about our, our season three premiere guests, too. Yeah, we are very excited for season three to start because we will be speaking with a very special guest, somebody who was on a extremely popular Netflix show. We will not give anything other than that away, but she had quite the experience and uh, is going to share it with us. So we're really excited for you guys to hear that. And us having a celeb on, you know, just really shows how we've made it, (laughs) y'all. And there's that. Um, But also, we'd love you guys to just tell us more about what you'd like to hear. If there's people that you would like us to try and chat with, we will certainly try. Um, If they'll have us. (laughs) So, yeah. It's going to be a good one. We're super excited to start season three and just keep this great momentum going. But today's episode and our season two finale is also packing a punch. We are speaking with a very incredible woman. Her name is Nina Corcoran and uh, she is from New Hampshire we got connected with her and um, she has quite the story to tell because she is a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault um, by the person that she was in a long-term relationship with and we wanted to talk to her because we had actually been wanting to do an episode about domestic violence sexual assault and you know the traumas and surviving it and she was really candid and just like tells pretty much everything about her experience. It was a pretty like hard story to hear because it's so crazy to think about, and I hate saying this, but how kind of easy it is to be in a really dangerous and toxic uh, relationship. And that's what she was in for a long time. And obviously she's going to give you all the details and get into it. I'm not going to try and tell her story for her, but Uh, She has since written a young adult novel, uh, which she is hoping to write more, but it is the reason she's doing this is because she wants to help empower her readers to recognize the signs of toxic relationships and to avoid becoming victims of abuse themselves. Her novel right now is fictional, um, but as she'll say in the show, she does definitely pull from her own experience, but it's really great to hear about like the signs and what to look out for and how to handle it. Yeah. And you know what? She did put a lot uh, like labels to things that maybe you're you have experienced or people, you know, have experienced um, and and really indicated uh, the the signs and things like that of toxic relationships. And I think if you're going to pull anything from this episode, it's that there are, you know, besides just being beat up, and you know any sexual violence you can still be in a toxic relationship right so keep your eyes and ears open guys yeah and that's a really good point is that it isn't sort of just that stereotypical toxic relationship that I think a lot of us think oh well at least they're not hitting me or at least they're not sexually abusing me yeah it goes beyond and I think that's fantastic for us to be aware you know help our our next generations be aware of those because I can almost guarantee you everything that you hear today you probably have you know, experienced, even if it was when you were younger, but still, you probably have experienced these type of things in relationships. I know I had, I know Lauren has, and it's crazy to think that we didn't even know that we were in toxic relationships experiencing these 
you know, forms of abuse and manipulation. So yeah, in one way or another, luckily, we were neither of us were victims of violence, uh, physical, any kind of physical abuse. Um, But yeah, we definitely both were during the show looking back and be like, okay, so I remember this relationship and definitely was toxic and abusive. (laughs) Yeah. And clearly that, you know, had and has affected us and had lasting effects for us in relationships. So, you know, it's best to just not experience any toxicity at all. And of course, we explore how um, that translate into platonic friendships as well. So, I mean, again, yeah, without giving it all away, um, super excited to speak today with Nina. We are really, really excited to get into it. And I just want to say that if you or know somebody in a very toxic or an abusive relationship, please seek help please seek support go to your family your friends anybody that you can trust um you do not have to stay in that relationship and i know it may feel like you do especially if you're an abuser and even if it's a friendship um and not like an intimate relationship but the abuser can make you feel like you need to be there and you don't so please please take this opportunity and go find a way to get away from that And on that note, I think this is the perfect time to welcome our incredible guest and um, brave, brave person to come and talk to us about this, to the show. Welcome, Nina. Welcome, Nina. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Yes, we're so excited to have you here and so excited to talk about uh, what we're talking about with you today, which obviously um, in some aspects isn't, you know, the, the happiest, brightest of conversation, but... I still think is very important and we Lauren and I have been wanting to have a conversation like this on the pod for a while just because you know we find that people have a similar story to yours and things like that so I think it's just something good that we can really get out there so but again I always get too excited and jump right in so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Nina. I am a young adult author. I just published my first novel at the end of June And I am also a police officer. I've been a police officer for 10 years. And I am a domestic violence and sexual assault survivor. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot of things right in there. But um, two like two really incredible things. The fact that you are a police officer as well as a young uh, adult author. And you did just launch your first book recently did it come out just the end of june so it's been out about two months now so i have like a thousand questions about um you know every single thing that you mentioned obviously um that you mentioned there uh do you want to start with the fact that you're a young adult author like how do you even make that decision to write for young adults it's it is such a different genre than adult uh writing like how do you even start so although i knew i wanted to be a police officer from the time that i was you know old enough to know that I am a huge nerd and all of my degrees are actually in writing and so I've took several classes about the different genres and all of that and I actually don't read a lot of young adult novels I actually really prefer thrillers but I can't write a thriller to save my life (laughs) and for some reason no matter what I try to write it comes out as a young adult novel. It just it just happens. I don't just even. I can't even. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I just can't make it do anything else. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I can totally see how that happens because I, to clarify, I 
do not read young adult fiction anymore. I used to. That's why I'm familiar with it. But I no longer read it. Um, but I do, you know, sometimes stumble across a book that I think will be a good fiction or I am also uh, into thrillers. And then you find out quickly that it is for young adults. You can really tell. So <laughs> I love that you just, you know, put yourself in that category. <laughs> it, it just happens. And, you know, it's kind of fun because it's a fun, although very tumultuous time of life that it's a fun time to write about you know and I get to make characters be better than I was at that age so well that is the beauty of writing your own stories and your own books is that you get to create whatever you want and I'm very envious because I always thought I would be a writer growing up I mean that was one really? of the many things that I wanted to be and one of the things I, al- I find myself doing more and more is when I can't sleep at night I just start like mentally writing these stories in my brain like a a novel that I pull an idea from like an experience in my life and I'm like I could write this and then when I wake up I've forgotten every single thing I thought about and I'm like I'm not a writer stop it well you I bet you're halfway (laughs) there because I've written a lot of novels in the middle of the night and forgotten them so Wow, so you're pretty much an author too. Yeah, you're on your way. (laughs) I'm amongst authors right now. But Lauren, I really think that, um, I think half the battle, like when I think about you guys being an author, not me, I, you too, Lauren, I, the, the hardest part would be, and I feel like this with any sort of like art form is like creating getting the ideas I mean I think you can fine-tune as you go but getting the ideas I feel like would be half the battle my issue is never getting the ideas I'm full of ideas in all different aspects my issue is formatting organizing and actually like putting it down um because I don't really have time to like write a novel in my life right now um so at night when I like just can't sleep and these things are just rolling around in my head and I just sort of like think about how this story that I'm thinking about would go and then that's how it goes. I also don't have an issue coming up with the ideas. My issue is I have so many ideas I don't finish one before I start the next one. Yes. (laughs) My issue is I have so many ideas that I can't select one and get one down or like even like really focus because then something else pops in I'm I get very distracted by my I own have many starts thoughts. of novels on my computer and then I'll be like oh this is a way better story I'm gonna write this one and so I get about you know halfway through wow I like to believe I'm just obviously such a creative genius that it just you cannot harness my creative ingenuity and it's just for me um, yes, but I, I, I agree with that. I, I, <laughs> we'll I want to talk more about uh, Nina being an actual published author because your yes. book is called yes. He Loves Me Not. And I love the name. Just you, it makes you think of so many things. There's a lot of visuals that come with that. And I feel like we've all kind of been there. The He Loves Me, Loves Me Not with the flowers. Um, perfect for a young adult uh, title. And I know it's fictional, but can you give our listeners a bit of a synopsis of like what the book is about and then how it kind of came about? Because that's when we want to get into talking about like your past life and your experiences there. And the age range that this is directed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this novel is directed towards right around that 14, 15-year-old, all the way up through an 18-year-old that's getting into dating, um, whatever age range that you start 
Um, it's getting younger and younger at this point. So this novel is about a young lady named Sasha. She's never had a boyfriend before. Um, she's kind of a bit of a loner on that, in that aspect. And she uh, somehow ends up sitting next to the all-star jock of the baseball team. And she thinks that he is not going to know who she is or any of that. And he ends up striking up conversation with her and they end up becoming good friends and eventually in a relationship. And the problem is that because Sasha's never had a relationship before, she's got nothing to compare it to. And the relationship is not a healthy relationship. So we kind of experience that first relationship with Sasha as we move through just it becoming more serious and going from friends to to more and really seeing those unhealthy habits that that start to poke out and um, unfortunately it, it's not a good situation for her to be in and she just doesn't recognize it she gets a little bit too concerned with keeping um, Adam the main character the main male character happy and starts to lose herself oh wow I mean that summarizes I think I would speak for most women's at least one time in their life in their earlier life um experience like i've yeah. been definitely in that position and more I think than his once name is also adam <laughs> yeah <laughs> correct <laughs> it's actually a story about me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that's a really common teen experience right it's you know for girls we're women we speak for women um but for girls for sure like they want to impress the and, and you're just finding yourself, oh, I feel for those girls. Well, there's so many societal pressures, too. And obviously, the societal pressures that we grew up with versus what some of the, the generations are growing up with now do mm-hmm. differ. I mean, there's a lot of the same, but it's changing yeah. a little bit. And like you said, Nina, like the, it is getting younger because I personally think like the fact that we have access to absolutely anything we want at any given time at pretty much any age, like my kids started playing on a iPhone when they were like two right so I mean you can start and then you start as a woman like the first stuff you see is like physical things right like the way you're supposed to supposed to I use air quotes supposed to look or you think you're supposed to look and dress and act and talk and and it's just everything right so and then you like the amount of reality tv that we are exposed to now too like you see these unhealthy relationships or not even relationships women trying to get and men trying to get into relationships with groups of people vying for their attention for their love for everything yeah and I personally am not like a bachelor fan I'm not like any of those kinds of shows bachelorette as well because i do think it's it's unhealthy i think it's yes it's entertainment great for tv but i do think it represents something that is not realistic and not healthy um but i want to know like in terms of the book and the story nina how much of yourself is put in to uh your character sasha because you as you mentioned are a survivor of uh domestic abuse and from a young age. Yes, from a very young age. So I actually met the man that I would marry when we were 11 years old. And so one of the things that I really truly believe is that if someone had told me at any point during my teen years what a toxic relationship was, I probably would have 
not ended up in the situation that I was in because even from 11 years old, my friendship with this eventually became a man um, was toxic. And I didn't recognize any of those signs because no one ever taught them to me. So for 15 years, that relationship was a toxic relationship. And it wasn't until I was a police officer that I knew that. So what Sasha goes through is 100% all of the emotions that I felt. They're 100% real. Her story and Adam and all of the setting and all of that is is fiction. And that's kind of how I had to separate myself. I, I couldn't write my true story because that was just a little bit too raw to put into a, into a young adult book, I felt like. Um, but putting those emotions, that real emotion, into a fictional character seemed a little bit more my style. Well, that could be why you're writing yeah. a teen novel then, because you're writing about the teenage you, right? That could that could be why maybe your next novel will be geared for adults. Who knows? But, you know, I think that putting those things down on paper and, and even how you mention if you had only been taught about toxic relationships, I, that's something Lauren and I speak about all the time, things we wish we were taught. And especially when it comes to sexuality for young girls going into um, teenage years and then adulthood, these things are just not discussed much to, um, you know, the detriment of women. And a lot of, I think, relationships, I know for, for myself, I don't think I would have behaved or, you know, had the experiences that I did. No abuse, but still, the decisions that I made, I don't think I would have had I been more educated. So I think you putting these words down, if even one person can relate to them, I, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I, I love that you said, had I been told what a toxic relationship yeah. was or would look like, is really powerful yeah. because that just made me think, I I had no idea know? what that was either. Like, how would you know? And I don't even know necessarily how your parents would, like, explain that to you. My The things that I was told is, like, obviously physical abuse yeah. is, you just don't. Like, if a, if a man hits you or a, a male hits you, or hurts you physically in any way like that's terrible and like you don't be with that person but I mean that's sort of like after the fact like if they hit you 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 leave kind of thing but sometimes that's not an option and unfortunately sometimes it just takes one time um so many women have been victims of physical abuse that ended their lives or severely changed it um and then also the, the other thing was just don't be with a jealous man. Like, But did they have those conversations with you? Like, did they sit you down and say, yeah, don't like that was like that? Yeah, it That's was in a way I where got. my mom had said. Yeah, I didn't get that either. I mean, my mom had said, if I can give you one piece of advice. And this was later. Like, I was probably 17, 18. So you already so had boyfriends. A conversation that I really think, absolutely, that should have happened much earlier. But the she just said, you know, piece of advice for, you know, whatever relationship that you get in, never date someone who's jealous because it will end like in misery or you'll be miserable. And of course, you know, if anybody ever puts their hands on you in a aggressive way, like that's never okay and you've never deserved it and don't be with that person. So I appreciate that both my parents like kind of gave me that information, but I think there's something just very different about what you're talking about, Nina, because your experience was like a buildup, right? Like the toxicity doesn't happen Just right start away. start on the first day. <laughs> it starts. So can you take us through like 
what was toxic, how like how you knew finally, or like what were the red flags? Like this, this is exactly the kind of stuff we want our listeners to literally like write down. Here's the tips. Here's the notes. Um, what to look for, and avoid. and can you do it in a way that you know we could take like for to our children? Say we're parents and we have kids that age, but also like you were eleven, so. Like, did it happen when you're 11? Like, t- can you break it down that way, too, for us? I, we want to know all the information. Unfortunately, you had to live through it. But again, we just think it's so helpful. Absolutely. So the first thing that I would say is, as a parent, I would teach my children, even younger than 11, what a toxic relationship is in the sense of it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Right. You can have toxic right. friendships. Yeah, good you point. can have toxic cousins, you can have toxic family members, you can have toxic bosses, you can have toxic anyone in your life can be toxic to you. So you don't have to start that conversation off with the romantic part of it. And I think that's how you address your children is you teach them the toxic things to look for in any relationship that they have and save them from having those toxic friends that enable them to have toxic relationships and build up all the way up. And so When we're talking about toxic relationships, I think it's really easy to turn to that, oh, well, he's never hit me kind of attitude, Mm -hmm. because we do think of physical violence as, you know, the most important, but it's really, that's, that is after the fact, nobody, nobody starts with the physical violence. It's all that emotional stuff that can actually end up more damaging than some of the physical, some of the physical things. And so my toxic relationship really started with the fact that I was young, so I was vulnerable. And what we started with was a lot of humiliation, a lot of um, what some people might call bullying now, where it was he would bully me or humiliate me in order to put me in check. So if he thought I was kind of getting a little bit bitchy or, you know, I was starting to be like stand up for yourself my own person. Yeah, exactly. So if so, if we if he started to feel like I was on the same par as him, he'd have to knock me down a peg. So he would, you know, say something that he knew would humiliate me in front of our friends or he would, um, you know, say something that belittled an accomplishment that I had just been really, you know, hyped up about or whatever. And I valued his opinion so much because I wanted him to like me because I was in that vulnerable age where, you know, the boys are everything. So that would just eat away at my self-esteem, my self-confidence. And did that start when you were still friends prior to getting into the intimate relationship? Yep. So that was, that was really how it started was that sort of control over and did your parents see this or like your teachers or anything so I've actually wondered about that a lot because we were family friends so his parents were friends with my parents and so you know that was really how our relationship kind of started and there was a whole lot of that you guys are going to end up together like you know you guys are going to be those those kids that end up married and so it was almost like a pressure from our parents to make things work and I don't know that they saw it because I think they saw it as like a brotherly sisterly kind of teasing and so that made it Mm -hmm. seem okay 
because it was almost like they were validating Well, there's that it. whole concept of if a boy picks on you, that means he likes you, right? Which needs to stop. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, that narrative can just go die. Yes. Let's just say that here and now. That is not true. Yeah. Period. If a boy picks on you, that does not mean he likes you necessarily and you do not deserve that and, and even if he, they should be vying for your attention yeah even yeah. if he does like you and that's what he's doing he needs to learn that is not the way to fucking go there's about that it. scene with drew barrymore yeah. from whatever that movie is fever pitch i think maybe it is or what i don't even know which drew barrymore never been kissed is. yes never been kissed where at the beginning she's like oh but yeah. that means a boy likes me and i just i want to <laughs> yeah it's very cringeworthy bark yeah. sorry we digress so sorry <laughs> Yeah, we digress. Well, it's just a really important point yeah. to hammer home that like that that whole concept and narrative, like you said, just needs to stop. So with that being said, Nina, how how did so things the progress? Next thing was really so we didn't start dating until the end of high school. And so we each had other relationships throughout high school. And he was oh, very controlling over my other relationships. So if I like your boyfriend, yes. girlfriend relationships. Yeah. Oh, okay. So if I was dating someone else, he was always telling me that they weren't good enough for me and he would make comments to them. And it was always that like, um, big brotherly, like I was flattered thinking that here was this guy that cared so much about me. And, and it was really that he wanted the control over it. He wanted to have a say in my relationships and it was jealousy, like you were saying, don't jade a jealous man. Like it was that jealousy and that he didn't have control. And even if at the time he had a girlfriend, so he, he didn't really want the full control. He didn't want to date me at the time. He just didn't want anyone else to date me kind of thing. And right. that felt flattering because of the narrative that we had grown up with that like if a guy cares about you that much, like it should be flattering. Right. And yeah. so that was sort of the next thing. And then we moved into an actual relationship. And of course, nothing physical starts right away. It starts with the little things, the emotional things. And so I didn't know it at the time, but was very heavily gaslit throughout my entire relationship. And gaslighting is something that I didn't know about at the time. Right. I kind of recently I feel like really it, learned yeah, what gaslighting is too exactly yeah. well, the, I mean, it's labeling it is new yeah yeah and so if you don't know gaslighting is basically when somebody makes you believe that you are crazy through different actions of theirs so he would we would have a conversation we would maybe get into a fight and i would be really hurt by something that he said and so the next day i would say to him you know this really hurt me and he'd say i never said that or you're crazy or um you're not right. remembering things right and he would twist how things had played out so that i started to doubt whether or not i was really remembering things correctly and this went on for so long that i actually got to the point where i didn't trust myself to properly know whether or not things were happening the way I thought. I was taking notes and then I wouldn't trust my notes. Uh, oh my God. You know, I would I would do little things because I really thought I was going crazy and I didn't even know that that was a thing. But it, that's a form of emotional abuse that you start of to course. question yourself. And at yeah. what age though? You're like, what, 18, 19 at this point? So 17? that's probably, so 18, 19 was probably when that started, but that continued all the way through us getting married and, and well, would, would have continued forever, I think. 
I just think that's so incredible. I mean, unfortunate, but incredible that you had the awareness at that time to be like, I need to take notes because yeah. you were questioning yourself so deeply that you didn't trust your own thoughts and your own realities that he challenged your reality to the point that you were like not living it properly. I, I just, I mean, I can't imagine feeling the need to take notes on myself. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point because if anybody that's listening is having that experience when they're being gaslit so hard that they are like I don't even know what's what has actually happened I need a notepad to remind myself of my own thoughts and emotions kind of and um that's not normal no, ladies and, and gentlemen no, <laughs> that's not it's, okay it started to feel like I was the problem and I found myself constantly apologizing because I was I was believing the lies that he was telling me. So if he said, you know, if I, so this is a combination of things, but so if I said, oh, I'm going to go out with my friends tonight, he would say, no, we had plans. And I'd say, well, wait a minute, when did we make plans? And so he, and then he'd get angry saying, you know, I can't believe you don't remember that we made these plans. Like you're never listening to me. You don't, you don't um, pay any attention to me. And then he'd start to guilt me. And so then I would end up canceling my plans with my friends, which was his intent the whole time, because isolation is also a, a red flag or a warning sign. And so that guilt that I would feel because I truly believed that I had forgotten something that he had told me, and I couldn't believe that I was oh, so Lord. careless, that I was constantly forgetting these things or getting these things confused. And that's really where the notes started to come from is because it I'd love to ta- I'd love to say it was self-awareness, but it was really guilt. It was that I felt so guilty that I was forgetting the things that he was telling me that I felt like I needed to write a lot more things down. And then it was in writing those things down that I was like, well, did I hear him wrong then? Because I'm writing down what I wrote down is what I think, but he's saying this other thing. And so even even having it written down didn't help me to really feel confident that he was lying. Wow. Even just That's... another point on awareness, like I, I, as you say, you feel that it was more stemming from guilt, but his own awareness of knowing how to manipulate you that way at that age. And I'm trying to like think of my own relationships and I guess I see it, but like I don't want to veer off track of like where, like how you're taking us through like the phases of everything, but really quick, like did he have like do you know if his family life, if his parents were similar, like had that kind of a relationship where someone was manipulative? Like, where does this come from? Like, yeah, how do you even know to do this? That's learned behavior, I would think. I'm no expert, but I'm, you know, that's my guess. I would agree. And I would think that most people who end up being this manipulative and being this type of abuser do learn it from somewhere else and knowing that knowing everything I know now and looking back on on our relationship and his relationships with his parents I do think he learned it from his parents they they were divorced they did not have a healthy relationship and so I think a lot of that was learned behavior I'm Um, sure there was a lot of guilt and you know manipulation within that dynamic Mm -hmm. yeah but that's the that's the, the best word for it I mean everything with him was manipulation but I didn't see it how would you know but did people, other, your close friends and family now start to see it at this point when you're canceling plans? Like, are you talking about this with people? Like, your memory loss, you know? Yeah, your friends. I'm saying in air you, quotes. Like, you're always bailing on us. What the hell? Like, what's going on? Because I feel like if I was doing that, my friends yeah, would be calling would me out all the time on that. 
So I think, I think, again, what happens is you make excuses. So I would never blame him for being the reason that I needed to cancel plans. I would never, oh. I would never let my friends and family know that kind of thing because that made me look, look that terrible, you know? So I would make up these excuses like, yeah. oh, I forgot I had to work or, oh, you know, it was always something else. I would never yeah. blame him. And so right. I was always apologizing to my friends until they eventually just gave up inviting me because they knew that I was going to end up canceling or, or not be the able to go. No. Exactly. And so ultimately he, he succeeded in that. And in isolating you from friends and family. Yep. And so it was just that, that manipulation on top of everything. And so my friends, I think once we got much further into the relationship and were married and I was a police officer, I think my friends did recognize the issues, but because most of my friends were male police officers. So I think they felt like it wasn't, I was the only female police officer they knew. So I think they really struggled with walking that line of where is our friendship professional and where is, you know, where do we draw that line? So wow. how did it go from, you know, those type of situations? Did it just progress into physical abuse or what are like, how does he make the next step? So now what are the signs? How do you know you're even getting to that stage? So for him, the the real signs were he started he started drinking very heavily. And when he was drinking, that was he was just a volatile person anyway. And so things started from, you know, that's when we'd get into fights and I always knew, you know, whenever that bottle of of Johnny Walker came out, like we were gonna have a fight. It didn't matter if it didn't matter what I did, if I walked on eggshells, like there was going to be a fight at some point in the night. It's incredibly stressful. Exactly. And so that it would, it started with just verbal kind of fights and then it would get into, you know, he'd back me into the corner while he was screaming at me. So I had nowhere to go. And then there were the, the times that he would punch the wall and he would punch so close to the side of my head that my hair would get caught in his watch, you know? And so it was always this big thing big show of violence like he always wanted me to know that he was bigger it was always the intimidation factor um and so so even though that wasn't technically physical violence that he was putting his hands on me there was always that threat of the physical violence and so that really started to pick up to be a much more common thing those violent outbursts you know he would throw things he actually ripped the the countertop off of our kitchen island at one point because Jesus. he was angry. You know, it was just there were all these violent outbursts. So a violent person. And were they always when he was drinking, or was he sober at some of the no, during some of these you know, outbursts too? Some of them, some of them, he was sober, but definitely the it was worse. You know, when he was sober, yeah. he could kind of tame it down a little bit, I think. But once once you put any alcohol in his system, it was just it was just over the top. And of course, here I am making excuses because I think he's got a he's got a problem with alcohol because he was in the military. So I want to protect him. So I'm making excuses, being like, you know, he's trying to tran- transition to civilian life, and you know, this is really hard for him. And I want to I want to be there for him. You know, I can't abandon. So I'm making all the excuses, but for the wrong reasons. And, and so, do you think he had PTSD? Was that maybe where a lot of his these issues were stemming from? I think that he had a toxic personality his whole life and then putting the military and alcoholism on top of that was just a, you know, 
the powder keg. for disaster. Exactly. Yeah. That was how we transitioned from more of the emotional violence into the, the physical violence. And for me, I can honestly say that he never hauled off and punched me. His violence was much more strategic. So he was actually able to hurt me out in public because he would take his hand and he would grab onto right around my collarbone. And to anyone else, it would look like he was just holding on to, you know, wrapped his arm around my shoulder, but he would squeeze my collarbone to the point that I was almost in tears. And it was that, you know, how delicate your collarbones are. It was that threat that I could hurt you right now. At any moment. At any so moment. kept you living in this perpetual fear of like, right. he could Good. just so it was never, react soon. It was never so... It was never so obvious as just a punch or something like that. It was like this tactical um, physical violence. And so he would do the same thing to my leg if we were sitting, you know, at like it, in a restaurant or something like that. Like out of nowhere or during a fight or so yeah, saying he something triggered? he didn't like. So it would always, I always go back to that same thing as when we were kids, whenever I would start to step out of mm. the line that he wanted me to follow. So, you know, once I, if I started to, turn a joke on him or something, you know, something that he wasn't comfortable with, he would just, you know, grab a hold and let me know that like, this is going to be a problem Shut up later. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're crossing oh. the line. And then that moved into like a sexual abuse as well? Or was that all kind of simultaneous? Because I mean, <laughs> you've experienced it all. Like, do they do these things go hand in hand? I think like, once you yeah, get to a certain that. point, everything starts to pile on top of each other. So once we really got to that point and we were um, living together, we were engaged, maybe, probably at the point of marriage now. And so he was completely controlling my entire life and I didn't realize it. And so everything just was on top of each other. The emotional abuse was probably the the catalyst for everything else because it made everything else possible. Mm. And, and so the, the sexual abuse, people don't realize that once you're in a relationship, you still have to consent to every aspect of Of your relationship. People seem to forget that. Like you're not handing a blanket consent card to your significant other when you start, start being exclusive with them. And so anytime somebody is forcing you to do something that you don't want to do or, just guilting you into doing something you don't want to do that's abuse and so that was always how it was for me is I didn't have a choice and I didn't recognize that I didn't have a choice because I was just trying to keep him happy because if I didn't keep him happy then we would get into a fight and then who knows what would happen so it wasn't that it wasn't that he was holding a gun to my head and telling me that I had to have sex with him but in a way he was because I didn't feel like I could say no. And at the same time, we were, he was financially controlling me because he didn't have a job. And so I was supporting both of us and he was spending all of our money and making me feel guilty about not making enough. So, oh my God, a real so, piece of shit. <laughs> so the guilt from that played into the, to, to the guilt with the sexual abuse and just everything else. So everything was piled on top of each other and just made it an impossible cycle. And like I said, I would have considered myself an expert because I was a trained police officer and I didn't see any of this in my own Are you thinking that you're in a healthy relationship? So, yeah. 
I, my whole, that whole time, I mean, I married this man in the middle of all of this. I was a police officer when I got married. And I truly thought that his issues stemmed from alcohol and that I could help him through that. And that was all I saw that was wrong with our relationship. And I was beyond wrong. (laughs) Right. So you, I mean, like you said before, you had nothing to compare it to. So for all you knew, did you think you didn't speak to your friends and say, hey, how's you and, you know john smith's relationship going does this happen does this happen like when he's drinking can he get really aggressive like did you not share any of those details with those closest to you to just sort of see if this was you know normal or abnormal or if like you know there's something you should be concerned about or were you too like do you think you had some awareness that like hmm, this might not be like right, yeah like so i I'm shouldn't not gonna share, share it i think that i was embarrassed to share it on some subconscious level because i it did it felt like I was the failure because everything came back to I was constantly apologizing everything was always my fault and so it felt like if anything was wrong in our relationship it would have been my fault so I didn't want my friends to know that there were any issues or that I was unhappy because then it was my fault so to outside appearances I was constantly trying to make us seem like the perfect couple you know I had that perfect Instagram feed of all the cute pictures and all of that stuff because that's what I wanted the world to see and oh I think goodness. we do that. so deceiving. We totally do that. I had a conversation with somebody the other day because I do the same. I mean, I, I consider myself in a very healthy relationship and I'm married with children and um, don't experience any of those things, thankfully. Uh, but at the same time, we're still human and we're still normal people and we still have our differences and we, our share of problems over the years. And But you would never know that. And because I get comments, people say, oh my God, you guys are always so happy. You're so cute. You're doing things. And I'm, I, I feel like... I have an obligation sometimes to say like, well, thank you. Like, I appreciate that you recognize that and it like it comes across happy and healthy and we are. But just like I want people to know it is an Instagram reel. You're seeing the yeah. highlight of my life. You are not seeing every the detail of my life. And I say like, obviously, I'm not going to post a picture if I've been crying or if I just screamed at my yeah. kids for 45 minutes. Like I'm not capturing those moments to share because those are well, private you, moments and, and you're my not, not even proud moments those, but you wouldn't even take a picture of that let alone post exactly. that like yes. nobody you only think to take pictures of the things that are happy and and everyone knows you know i don't trust instagram at all everyone knows that that's not real life but for some reason it still like clouds our judgment a little bit and makes us believe that that's their life um even though and and you know laura we've talked about this too even the people that are real and do put the crying pictures on, we're like, is that real? Like, are you, are you are crying? You looking for are you attention? looking for Exactly. Yeah. Like, there is that confusion because it's just not what it's supposed to be for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, like, I, I don't think that that was abnormal of you in any way to only post the good things. Obviously, that's what people do, unfortunately. And I think, and I think problem- that's what people want, right? Like, you want that to be your reality and, and it to be authentic. And I think people lose sight of the fact that an abusive relationship isn't abusive 24-7, 365 days a year. So I think people forget. And I don't just mean people viewing the relationship from the outside. I mean the people that are in it. I think they justify this isn't an abusive relationship because, look, yesterday we were happy. Or yesterday I took this great picture. Or he brought brought me a gift yesterday or whatever it is. You start to justify that the good times outweigh the bad. You're justifying it to yourself not even to anyone else exactly. this is for you 
Wow, that's I think and that's important too. Sometimes my Instagram feed was just that. It was me justifying that look, there are all these good things. Yeah. You know, who cares yeah. what other people think? I'm looking at these good pictures and being like, Well, I'm not in an abusive relationship. Like, look at all these happy memories I have. Wow. You're proving to yourself in a way and justifying. You have a good relationship. And I think that's imp- like just when we were talking about like, did you share these situations with your closest friends and family and you saying not to because you felt that you didn't want to appear as a failure in your relationship or in your life um, because you obviously wrongfully <laughs> took on this role that it was your fault. But, you know, that kind of plays into the whole shame factor that women especially go through so often all in their life. the time like, did you were you fear did you fear that judgment of like oh well she can't even keep a relationship going and oh like you know just that shame and that judgment that probably wouldn't happen because if you were telling people like what your reality really was but i i can appreciate not wanting to tell that if you thought you were going to be judged and shamed for it. But it's not just that. It's you don't want to be judged and shamed for also then not leaving, right? Like, you yeah. you know that – I think it gets to a point – and I've had, you know, unhappy relationships as well where it gets to the point where things are so bad, but when you start to admit it to yourself and other people, then now you're kind of having to do something about it. And that's really tough when you don't even know what to do, Right. And And then it just becomes embarrassing. Absolutely. absolutely. The embarrassment factor is huge. And for me, I sort of had two levels of shame because here I was a police officer, the only female police officer in my department. I have to basically go to work every day and be a badass in order for everybody to think I can do my job anyway. So I'm the person that's supposed to protect other people. And here I am. I can't even protect myself. So I was terrified that people would find out about this and basically decide that I was too weak or incapable of doing my job. So I had that. Is that that subconscious at that point? Because 100%. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, you still are not in the know of, oh, my God, I have to hide this because there is something terribly wrong here. Yeah, no, this was, I think, just my subconscious of I've got to be this badass female, so nothing can be wrong in my life. Obviously, everything's perfect. And then where does it go from there? Like, did he put his hands on you? Did it get to that point? Or how did you, what was the breaking point? So my break, you came to the realization that you were in a very toxic and abusive relationship. So believe it or not, my breaking point actually came, I was at work. I responded to a call for verbal domestic between a man and a woman, and I was standing there talking to this woman, and I was getting so frustrated because I I could see all of the issues that she was having, and she was making all of the excuses, and I couldn't make her see the toxic and abusive relationship that she was in you know she was just completely blind to it and you can't make somebody see that's you know not a thing they have to see it for themselves but I just wanted to help this woman and she didn't want my help and so eventually as a police officer you do come to a point where your hands are tied and there's nothing else that you can do so I reached that point with this woman and I had to leave and I was just so angry and I get back in my cruiser and I drove away a little bit and I went to take my call notes which is something that we do after each call and so I'm writing things out and as I'm writing I realized that everything I was putting into this into these notes could have had my name in front of it and been correct and it was just this out of the blue realization and I I can't tell you 
why it hit me right then and there. But I think the reason I was so angry at this woman and so angry at her significant other was because I was finally recognizing that I wasn't taking my own advice. And so I sat there and just everything hit me at once. It was like just an overwhelming crash of, oh shit. And I went home after that and I really looked for signs that I was wrong. I spent several days looking for all the proof that I was overreacting, that I was, you know, blowing something out of proportion. I was desperate to see the the light that I could save this, that, you know, nothing was wrong, that whatever I was feeling the night before was a fluke or whatever. And unfortunately, all I found was evidence of the opposite and that things were much worse than I even had realized at the time. Oh, and wow. so that was really my, my breaking point had technically nothing to do with him for some reason. It was this other woman who has no idea that she's what probably saved my life, but I can't tell you why. Well, you said why, and I remember being in that moment personally and with my friends dealing with them and knowing they're in toxic relationships. Um, Mine being the one we kind of touched on at the beginning with my friends being like, Laura, he's a dick. Like, he's awful. He's shitty. Cheated on me. Like, just all the things. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, we're working through it. And we were young. Like, we were. this was before I was even 20. Um, Not that that's an excuse at all. Because I didn't really know. I thought, he's so, like, I love him. Like, he's so great. And he's hot. And just stupidness. Um, But it was like, I remember getting to the point where I finally was like, I hate this person. I know. And I do not want to be with them anymore. And they're awful. And this is the worst relationship. And I'm so done. Like, I, I just, I have, you lose all respect. You look at them. They don't even look the same to you. And I remember thinking, like, my friends have been saying this to me for months, but it didn't matter. It had to come down to me. And then when I was dealing with these sort of things with friends and their relationships, saying to myself, I can talk until I'm absolutely blue in the face. It is not going to change until they have come to the realization themselves. It doesn't matter what I say. And it's a really interesting thing. And, you know, I'd love to understand that more of, of why we yeah. do that and how that why that happens because we often go to our friends and our family for advice and help and assistance. And then but when they're when you're not asking for it and they're volunteering it, it's very different. Like you receive it differently or you don't receive it at all. Well, and um, it depends on how they're delivering it. Obviously, when we're teenagers, we're not, you know, trained therapists. So it can seem like an attack and it can be embarrassing, even if there was good intentions. Yeah. And my experience was it was coming from a place of real love and concern of being like, you know, lore, like this isn't good. And he was like I said, we were young. He had us some traumatic experiences in his life, his upbringing. He turned to drugs and alcohol. So I wonder if there is usually a pattern like that. Um, But I mean, it's, I just, I can completely understand what you're saying. And I bet a lot of people can as well, that you just had to come to it. And I, I think it's so fascinating that maybe this was all planned. Like the universe was like, she has to be a police officer and she has to have this experience. And this is what's going to save her and put her on a completely different trajectory for the rest of your life and now yeah. you are doing things to help others. Well, you are and helping like, as a police officer obviously, but this <laughs> Well, now that you've accomplished that, now you're just like, okay, now go be your real job, which is an author. <laughs> totally unrelated. But okay, so you guys both said this so many times and I think that like 
how do we how do we help going from this um like perspective of it has they have to come to it on their own realizations like how do we help people because how how far do they go down look at you nina look at you lauren like how far do we have to go down that road before we realize it like how can we help people before that unfortunately i don't know that we can the important thing i think is while you're making those comments you do it in the most supportive and least judgmental way because like lauren said she remembered all those things after the fact it just she needed to remember them once she had made up her mind and once mm-hmm. you've made up your mind you and you are in this deep you feel like you're completely alone and you feel like the isolation has left you on an island by yourself and you have no one to turn to so knowing that those people were supportive then you kind of hold on to that hope that they're still going to be supportive now and that they'll still be non-judgmental now so you want to leave that taste so as the friend you want to leave that taste in their mouth so that they do feel like they can come to you because if you gave that bitchy like you know whatever like if you're not going to listen you don't know anything you don't know anything (laughs) then that person when they are in that really vulnerable place and need that support they're not going to feel comfortable coming to you because they're going to be waiting for that i told you so and that's a really maybe later down the road you can come out with that but you (laughs) you need to hold off on that right away (laughs) yeah well i think the important thing is the whole point of this conversation is knowing the signs ahead of time so you don't enter right, into that relationship right, and you don't right. experience the stages that escalate as you experience Nina. But I think another really important part is, you know, for our listeners and maybe anybody that is in what you were in, what is the exit plan? Like, how does that work? Because I feel like somebody who's that manipulative, that has been controlling you for almost over a decade of your life isn't just gonna be like okay bye well and (laughs) also they have their their claws and everything so your family your friends your money (laughs) yeah so yeah how do you you know escape it can be it can be really scary and really messy and so the best case scenario obviously is not to get into this situation where you have they have their claws and everything like you want to recognize the signs early enough that you just say see you later we you know hung out that one time and now I'm good and once you get to this point where everything is intertwined you really need to be kind of strategic about how you go about it which can be daunting and it can almost feel like you're better off just staying because uh, I don't know how I'm gonna you know, make this work, or I have nowhere to go, or he does have control of my money. So I, you know, I don't have an option. And it can feel like that's the only choice. And there are times where that does feel like the only choice. Because we're so afraid to let go of some things. You're so afraid to walk out the door right now without anything like would you be able to just turn and leave your your money, your job, your your everything behind and start over your somewhere? Your home, everything. And that's what some people are facing when they look at this situation because he's not just going to say, "Oh yeah, take half the bank account and, you know, one of the cars and I'll see you later." Like and I'll go quietly, yeah. Right. So, the more intertwined it is, the messier it is. Of course, you know, when once you're married, the courts have to get involved and that court is messy anyway and then you put in this this toxic relationship on top so for me my exit plan basically involved coming up with a safe location where 
friends kind of hid me for a while. They would park my car one place and take me somewhere else. And I would, I would stay with friends that he didn't know where they lived kind of thing. So he couldn't come find me and I didn't follow my normal routine so that he couldn't come and find me, you know, at my workout class or, you know, the things that he knew that I did on a daily basis. I, I what did about those things. your work though? Did you go to work like you were supposed to? So I ended up taking for my situation, I ended up taking a couple of days off just so that I would have kind of the freedom to, to try to make, yeah, try to make this work. And the big thing for me was because we were married, I needed to serve him with the paperwork. And that was, you know, the, the next step. And I knew he was going to be angry. And so the safest. And that happened right after you came to that realization, like in the few days after? Yeah, I tried to make it as quick as possible. I mean, I had the, the time period where I was trying to walk on yeah. eggshells and figure things out, but I basically moved, you know, disappeared from my house. I, I left like I was going to work and, and just didn't come home. And a couple of days later, that conversation needed to happen where, you know, here's, here's paperwork. I... We'll see you later. I want a divorce. <laughs> right. I'm leaving you. And I'm assuming he wasn't like, okay, bye. He was not. And so I was kind of lucky in the sense that I managed to find a time where he was sober to get him served with those papers. But he didn't take it well. And I had a lot of what's called post-separation abuse, which is once you do draw that line and you're getting bombarded with text messages and phone calls and um, all sorts of other things where he their abuse is still taking place. And so he would have his mom call me. He would have friends call me. He would have, once I blocked somebody, he would have somebody else contact me. And, you know, it was verbally abusive type things. And then, of course, he played games with the paperwork. There were, you know, anything he could do to drag that on and make that a miserable experience. And I lived in fear of him showing up at my house and burning it to the ground while I was in it kind of thing. Like I was terrified of that. And it came down to having to rely a lot on friends to help me and keep an eye on me. And I, I slept over friends' houses when I wasn't feeling safe. And, um, you know, I had, I had filed paperwork so that I had people regularly driving by my house in a cruiser to make sure it wasn't burning down and things like that. Like I lived in fear and it took a long time to get over that and to come to a place where I felt safe in my own home and just in my own skin. Life. Yeah. And how did you like even get there? Like, did he just eventually relent or how, how did that even happen? I mean, the other alternative is like pulling a JLo from enough. Like, how did you not have to do that? So I was lucky enough that once the court finalized everything, which took over a year, once everything was finalized, he did kind of give up in the sense that he had found somebody else. And mm-hmm. I think I think he just... But that's what you probably were hoping for, like, please meet someone else. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's going on to somebody else, but at least it's not on your... talk talk about guilty conscience right like here I am that's all I wanted but at the same time I absolutely know that that's not a healthy relationship and I do feel badly about that but at the same time I've got to protect myself so I'm not upset that he left me alone after that but 
I, I do know that I was lucky and there are a lot of women who have to share children and, and other things like that, that don't get that clean break. And the clean break is really the best option. If you can, if you can manage that, that's the best way to get out of these situations. Right. And do you ever hear from him? I did for a while. There would be drunken messages, you know, left and I could always tell that they were, you know, they'd be from three, four o'clock in the morning. They were deep into some sort of alcoholic fit. But luckily, I never, I don't know that he ever actually like showed up or anything like that. So I hope that that didn't ever happen. Well, again, like I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this traumatic and horrible experience, but I do really appreciate and love that you didn't kind of sugarcoat any of it like that is a pretty harrowing experience and yes many uh individuals experience even more um abuse and and worse right um but but i i hope that like just listening to that like i felt the fear for you i i it's sort of like this thriller almost that you're listening to because it could have ended differently and I want our listeners to like understand that like this is why it's so important to like be aware of toxic relationships like you said not just in um, romantic settings but in with friendships too because things like that can certainly happen in friendship relationships like they very very similar it doesn't require the sexual aspect no Um, I've had only those type of relationships never with like with a man but with girlfriends that unhealthy um you know, toxicity where people are projecting their own insecurities on you and manipulating and trying to have that power because they ultimately they feel powerless. That's what it comes down to. Healthy people aren't abusers, right? Healthy people and happy people don't want to put pain on people like that. So obviously uh, I think that that's something that people should take away from this as well. It does not just have to be a romantic situation. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like you said, recognizing those signs long before it even gets to that point. And um, I'm so glad that you were able to get out. And it was as clean as it could be considering um, how long you were involved with him. And, um, you know, I, I it's, it's just, it is like really hard to hear in some ways because it is so scary. And I can't imagine how you felt, you know, lying in your bed at night alone wondering, like, did you ever feel like, this could be my last night alive like did you ever think like he's going to be so mad that he's going to really fly off the deep end and and end my life or end our lives like was that like you know sort of a a phase that you went through where you weren't sure if you were going to make it out there were absolutely times where I had fear for myself or both of us and it kind of felt like in some ways I was almost wishing for that because then it would be over and that was hard to admit because you sort of know at that point that things are not right you should never be feeling like that no but there were definitely times where it felt like that would be better because even if you made it through tonight there was tomorrow night and then there was the next night and so that that constant living on the on that edge of maybe it would just be better if he just did it tonight so that we didn't have to live till tomorrow kind of thing. And again, I didn't recognize that as, as abuse. I just, I thought it was all due to that angry drinking. I just, I wanted to change that part of him and felt like if I could make that better, that that would, 
that would be okay. And so we'd be, you know, he'd be essentially raping me. And that would be my thought is, you know, we could just, if he just ended it tonight, then it wouldn't, I wouldn't have to worry about tomorrow. Wow. And I I think that, you know, you breaking it down like that for us where it, you know, I'm not to undermine it, obviously, at all. Um, but when when we were talking, sometimes I think of an abusive relationship as like being beat up. But taking it down a notch, like when you're in this situation, you're in that constant fight or flight, you know, that stress hormone is constantly going. That is not healthy in any sort of way. And that toxicity, you know, affects you deep down. And I grew up in a, a home where my parents would fight a lot. And I still have that like activated fight or flight response and I see a therapist because of it and so when I know for a fact that when you're living in a situation where there's that conflict it's very difficult to live through and I want I'm so glad that we discussed this because that is um, you know abuse isn't just being beat up it is so many other levels and it affects your life in so many other ways um, than just the physical aspect of it so I'm glad that we like really explored that and hopefully somebody listening you know who knows somebody listening could be in a situation like that where like you did not know they were even in a toxic relationship and see those signs and you could be that you know a victim who you unfortunately met but you know you could be that for somebody else absolutely that you know when I wrote the book and when I speak about these things that's really all I can think about is that if just one person takes something good away from this and ends up not a victim because of this or ends up saving their own life because of this then that's the absolute best that I can ask for. And I know that I was lucky and I know that whether it was the universe or, or what, that I ended up on the other side for a good reason. And that's why I choose now to not sit silently and just let this continue to happen to other people. Like I need to speak out about this because the only way that we're going to change things is if we talk about it more. And so that's, I won't shut up now. Well, we thank you for that. So tell us a little bit, um, just, you know, to close out is what does the recovery look like? Like, what did you go through? What are you still going through? I know, um, because we've, we spoke prior to the show, um, that you are with a new partner and you're in a happy, healthy relationship, which is fantastic. And so glad to hear that. But obviously it probably took a lot to get to that point. So what would, um, what did your recovery look like? Cause then this could also help our listeners understand like, you know, the, the next phase of the exit plan. So I think you really have to be gentle with yourself. It's not an overnight thing and it takes a long time. And I think that there, I'm six, almost seven years out now. And there are still moments when I am having, you know, a really bad day that I can hear his voice in the back of my mind being that, you know, that negativity. And, you know, I wouldn't consider him still a part of my life now, but there are those moments where Mm -hmm. he is and that, And there are still things that I do that I know are his fault, essentially. Like my partner tells me all the time now, like, you don't have to apologize for everything. You know, we'll be somewhere and it'll start to rain and I'll say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And he'll be like, you can't control the weather. <laughs> like, You know, oh it's, it's silly things. But those are leftover habits that I still am working on trying to get rid of. And we're seven years later. So it's not an overnight thing and it does take time. And I think the biggest thing is forgiving yourself and allowing yourself to 
to not take on that blame anymore, that nothing that happened was your fault and just be gentle and do what you need to do to feel safe and to feel happy again. And whether that's seeing a therapist or I got a dog, that was really important to my therapy. Um, But, you know, it was just the little things that I needed to do to feel safe and not rush into anything afterwards and just feel like you have to be with someone or you're never going to be with someone kind of thing. All those things that your abuser told you and said, you're never going to find someone that loves you like I do and all that stuff. That's all bullshit. So take your time and, and, you have to take care of you. Yeah, you Absolutely. know what? That's like up there with uh, if a guy likes you, he'll tease you or pull your hair or whatever. Also, I want every girl in the world to know, you. everyone thinks after this relationship, you know, whether it was abusive or not, like, this is it for me. I'll never find anyone. Like, that mentality needs to fuck off too. Like, these two things, if we could erase anything in the world, well, no, there's much worse <laughs> things to erase, but starting today like let's start to get rid of that those narratives that it's so silly it makes no sense of course you'll find someone again you know you're not destined to be alone because you stand up for yourself or you go through a breakup it's so silly I don't know why we think that well because you've been victimized for so long and conditioned to believe that you're worthless and no one's gonna want you but did you seek therapy are you still in therapy was that part of your recovery I did I did I was very weary of therapy especially in my line of work and I saw it as something that would be considered weak I didn't want anyone to know I kind of like would sneak off there and like you know pull my hood up it's still a taboo thing I (laughs) don't know why and you know I felt like I was guilty again of doing something wrong and I am so glad that I did go um I went for probably two years and just worked through, you know, we didn't focus on anything other than my relationship, which was plenty to unpack seeing as it was, you know, 15 years long. But it was that building process of, you know, I'm not worthless, you know, everything he said was wrong. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. really building back to that place where I could just be me because at times, I honestly didn't know who I was without him because of how long our relationship was. So I really had to figure out who that was on their own especially well, you had to go through ages. yeah exactly you went through like pivotal times of all the different like you know stages from preteen to teen to like you know entering your 20s becoming a well becoming a woman in a lot of ways becoming a, a wife and then having a career like those are major major milestones to spend with one person under their abusive reign and I mean you were you I don't know if we actually said it at the top of the show, but you were 11 essentially when this started because you were friendly. And then this brought you to, um, how old were you when this finally ended? Like the relationship ended, not your recovery. (laughs) Um, 26. Wow. 26, 27. Wow. Yeah. That's an immense amount of time to be in such an unhealthy uh, relationship. So, I mean, again, thank you so much for sharing yeah. your story. And we're so happy that we got to meet you and talk to you and hear everything. And, and we've learned stuff even, you know, 
even though we're, we're not in those relationships, but it's still good to have that reminder of like, nope, those things aren't normal. Keep checking well, those boxes. Well, unfortunately, I can relate to what you're saying through some of my friends, even, you know, we're, I'm 32. I have friends, we, we're, you think we're too old for this shit. We're not, you know, this stuff still happens. So I'm re- thinking about a girlfriend of mine right now who's going through a situation like this. And so I, unf- I wish we could say that we grew out of this and, you know, this is for youngsters, but it's re- youngsters, like, I'm an elderly person (laughs) um, for younger people, but it's not. um, And unfortunately, you know, people can relate to this of every age. So I think that anyone listening, any age uh, could take something away from this. And not only for us, but, you know, Lauren, you have small children, like something that we could pass on to our next generation and the minds that we're forming in that way. And, you know, really try to, to end these cycles and, and that's the thing, you know, if we can pass it on now so that those yeah. cycles don't start, yeah. that is that is that next step, I think, is we, we start teaching early enough that they don't end up in these situations so that we don't have anyone 15 years from now talking about how they've been yeah. in this relationship for 15 years. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Well, again, thank you. Please yeah, thank tell you. our listeners where they can find you, get your book and just, you know, are you open to people reaching out to you if they have questions or want to talk to you more about your experiences and your story? Absolutely. Um, let them know how they can get a hold of you. Absolutely. So you can find me at ninacorcoran.com. Um, and that's N-E-N-I-A-C-O-R-C-O-R-A-N.com. Um, all of my social media handles are just at Nina Corcoran. And you can find my book on Amazon. Wow. He loves me not on he Amazon. He loves me not on Amazon. Yes, we're going to have to get, get a, copy. a copy. Yes, I will go back to the young adult reading to uh, <laughs> read this book. I would love to, uh, you know, just kind of see see what I can pick out and be like, oh, that's uh, where Nina felt this, and just all all would be really interesting. So, you know, I. Uh, hope that our listeners could take something away from this or if they know somebody in their life that has similar experiences that they can be like hey listen to this podcast um and yeah like we said before if we can help one person that's that's a win so as always for our listeners you can follow us at herspective underscore podcast and please remember to rate review and subscribe um if you listen to us on apple and Once again, Nina, thank you so much. I hope we talk again. Thank you, Nina. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.